Welcome to Digitizing B2B with Jari Carter, the e-commerce podcast on digital transformation for B2B businesses. I'm your host, Jari Carter, and on today's episode, we'll be speaking with the founder of a company who evolved an old-fashioned business into the digital era. Let's begin. everybody welcome to the podcast digitizing b2b with jari carter i am here with sean mcdonald who's the ceo and founder at trupar um sean welcome to the podcast i'm so happy to have you here i'm honored uh, to be chatting with you here today welcome thank you all right um so let's just jump right in because we uh, we're going to try to keep this short hard-hitting and super informational so tell us, um, just to, to kind of back up here uh, to the beginning here, t- tell us a little bit about Trupar. Um, so Trupar.com is a, you know, industrial equipment replacement parts e-commerce site. Like the, my background, you know, is a little bit, uh, I, I grew up in the industry and, and um, so essentially I, I saw an opportunity to sell replacement parts for forklifts, aerial lifts, sweeper scrubbers online. And uh, I mean, I can, I can give you a little bit of, of the, the full story, but um, yeah. it depends on what you guys want to hear. No, I think, I mean, I think this is great. For, for our audience here, I'm here in LA with, with Sean. Um, Sean, uh, you, you don't look like somebody who is uh, running a, a, uh, a forklift Parts business. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this. Uh, just, just how did you get into running this business? For my entire life, my father's owned and operated an industrial equipment dealership called Trupar America Inc. Uh, he sells forklifts, industrial sweeper scrubbers, and aerial lifts. Uh, Trupar America is a full service dealership, meaning they provide equipment, service, parts within their sales territory. Um, in 2007, after barely graduating high school, I decided not to get into the family business and move from my hometown in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Aspen, Colorado to be a ski bum. Uh Uh-huh. That's fun. (laughs) (laughs) It was. Uh, In 2010, uh, after doing the ski bum thing for a few years, I got my first computer read a couple digital marketing books and started a local dig- digital marketing agency in Aspen called Online Dynamics. Uh, shortly after founding Online Dynamics, my father's equipment dealership became one of my digital marketing clients. We worked with him uh, for two years, uh, mainly promoting offline equipment leads for his salespeople. And then I realized that uh, due to the niche profile of the industry, no one was selling replacement parts for that equipment online. So, so you were, just to be clear, you were doing like digital marketing for your dad's equipment dealership. And, and, you, were, you, and you began kind of this agency where you were doing this kind of online marketing for companies. Yeah, that- for, for all types of companies. Yeah. And, and I mean, because he was my dad and he was really old school. Yeah, you know, he needed help. He was like, help me sell some equipment. Uh-huh. And so we started doing this and, and I, I realized like that market was so much less competitive versus like the real estate market or some other things whenever it came to ranking on Google and kind of getting traffic to a site. You know, I said to him, I I proposed the idea to my dad that uh, we should create an e-commerce site, you know, once realizing that that there was so much opportunity like to 
online in general for this industry. Um, I propose that we should start an e-commerce site explaining to him that the huge opportunity, uh, his, his response was, go ahead and try, but it'll never work. People buy from people in the traditional uh, mentality that was, you know. And so I, I was convinced it would, I would, it would work and uh, spent all my savings, nights and weekends building truepar.com. But you had, it's interesting because you had had this experience of kind of doing this, testing the waters from online marketing. You had really kind of this inside sense and track that it would work. Yeah. Uh, just from probably a lot of the digital marketing you were doing. Right. And, and I mean, just for, like, for instance, I was, uh, there was real estate agents in Aspen, Colorado. It's a resort destination yeah. that would, would pay me to like do SEO for them. And I couldn't get, you know, these real estate agents to the first page of Google for a local search. Uh, but I, I had, I had my father's company, you know, for equipment leads, he was getting leads from all over the world. Yeah. You know, it was just, the competition was so much less intense than other markets, even local markets. Exactly. So, I mean, I just, I I said like, let's go bigger with this. Like Mm -hmm. we, we can sell parts and, and things that can ship in a box versus some, like, the problem with my father's model was that it was all leading back to phone calls and kind of following up on a lead. And I was like, let's sell this stuff online so we can scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because of my father, like my my family's history in the industrial in- industry, I was able to set up a meeting with top executives from the industry's largest wholesale distribution company. And uh, the, exe- the execs were obviously skeptical too. Um, but they said like, you know, we'll sell to you, like we'll, we'll let you buy off of us, you know, and go ahead and try it once again, because of that relationship, they, they allowed me to be a, a distributor of theirs. And, and so in September of 2012, uh, truepar.com was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever I launched it at 1.7 million parts for 475 industrial equipment manufacturers, um, and during the first couple of years, there were, there were a lot of, I, I had to, I essentially realized that I couldn't go fully e-commerce with this. So, yeah. so one of the big learning less, uh, lessons learned from, from that experience was like, because of my dad's traditional mentality, I was like, I want to automate this whole thing, you know, go Amazon style. No, no one will pick up the phones if you build it right. Like, like, yeah, totally automated, right. no salespeople, no customer service. You, you were just going to run a digital operation. Correct. And, um, and, and so I, I learned the hard way that, you know, the industry wasn't quite ready for that. Yeah. And whenever it comes to something, you know, fixing a piece of equipment that's running your operation, you know, you need that, you need kind of a hybrid model. So, you know, over the next couple of years, I really, develop that hybrid model of, you know, how much, how much self-service can we do and what type of customer service do customers need? So, and at this point, it's about 85% of my customers we never talk to. And then there's the other 15% that will give us a call and have questions or just make sure we're a real company, et cetera. And, and it's that 15% that I've, I've staffed you know, knowledgeable customer service people. And really these people are enabling you to purchase through the website and answer all of the questions before you do. 
you launched this uh, in September 2012. Fa- fast forward to today, give me just kind of a couple of, of statistics about kind of where truepar.com is today from its beginnings. So its beginnings were in my one-bedroom apartment in Aspen, Colorado, (laughs) and it has grown to an international company serving more than 45,000 happy customers with a catalog of over 8 million SKUs for 600 brands. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so incredible. Yeah. I mean, to put it in perspective, like my, my dad's business in 40 years in business, I think, has about 1,000 customers. It's one of those things that we've grown a lot faster than I had ever expected, and now I'm, I've just been trying to keep up. Yeah, forty-five thousand customers yeah. against a thousand customers in a traditionally offline Correct. business. Wow, that's fascinating. Yep. I, I didn't know that. I yep. didn't know that that's, yep. that those those statistics were so uh, stark. So today, from what I know about your organization, you're running a predominantly digital organization. Almost everything you do. Uh, is online, mm-hmm. um, and and you run a very lean organization. You don't yeah. have a big, you know, tons of warehouses, support staff, customer service. You, they, that those teams are are fairly small, from what I know of your business. A, a lot of our customers are running these digital initiatives very leanly. Mm-hmm. Um, even in really big companies, the digital initiatives, the digital teams are very small. Right. Um, you've had a lot of success uh, running. I mean, forty-five thousand customers and growing. Yeah. Um. You and, and with a with a pretty small digital team. How are you doing that? Uh, what 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 are you doing to to succeed there? So the you know one of my biggest um, things that I because you know I'm asked that often um, and one of my biggest kind of initiatives or one of the things that I push to traditional companies is that you know though though your digital team may be small, the fact is that. If you want to do e-commerce successfully, um, it can't be a marketing brochure. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be you know some promotion that you're running. It needs to be integrated into every piece of the business, and like you really need to to start with the customer and work backward because these are not though some of them are traditional quote unquote customers. The fact is that they if they find you online, they expect a little bit different of an experience. Like one of my favorite sayings is um, from Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. He he said that uh, even well-meaning gatekeepers slow innovation. Uh, when a platform is self-service, even the improbable ideas can get tried because there's no expert gate, gatekeeper ready to say that will never work. Guess what? Many of those improbable ideas do work. So this like almost goes back to like what your dad's saying, like, hey, go ahead, try it. It's never gonna it's never gonna work. People buy from people. And right. you're saying, like, hey, gatekeeper, yeah, I'm an, I'm just gonna do it. And I mean there's and that's the thing is in tr- like if it wasn't my father, I'm sure <laughs> at your at, at at the companies, you know, that that we're talking about here, if there's a digital team, the fact is that there are people there working there that, that have done business you know, for X amount of years, one specific way. And whenever you add this channel like e-commerce to the equation, if your internal customer support staff or sales staff isn't enabling your customers to buy online and kind of setting up those accounts and, and really kind of being that, that um, grease of the wheel, then it becomes this siloed, you know, channel instead of 
your entire operation working around it. And and that's why I said like really designing everything from the customer's perspective and working backward, like what is the best customer experience that that they can have here as far as logging in and creating an account to, you know, getting notified about order ship. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. If you don't build your e-commerce system around your customer and then build your business around that, there's often mixed messaging and kind of uh, struggles. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. I want to I wanna go back to this idea of, you know, what your dad said to you, which is like, hey, this is never going to work. Because I think in the market right now, we see there's a lot of people saying that, you know, like, hey, e-commerce may work for other industries, but in our industry, people just buy from people. It's too complex or, you know, this is a relationship business. You know, I've heard all of it. What what would you say to those people that are skeptical about whether or not their customers are actually ready to purchase online? You know, stop being a gatekeeper. <laughs> I mean, like, no, but to be, to be honest, I mean, like you really never know until you know. And I think that you can't just, I mean, obviously going online, especially the more complex your business is, like it's an investment, you know, not only a, a financial investment, but a time investment, um, and resources. And a lot of, a lot of companies say like, we don't, we don't have that person. A big thing that I've, um, pitched before is when you're hiring someone or whenever you're promoting someone to take on this initiative, you really need to let them run as a separate company, even internally. But I mean, you need to be, give them parameters that they can make decisions and, you know, try things out and test them and fail. And, you know, all of the things that an entrepreneur does, because if you don't do that, then you're going to find yourself in a position where you're building an e-commerce system around how you do business. And right. that's, it never works out very well, you know. Versus around how the customers want to buy. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that there's there's a number of kind of strategies to go to market for e-commerce, but really what it comes down to is we want to make our customers' jobs and lives easier. You know, and in B2B, my customers are doing their job whenever they're purchasing from me. So if if I'm making their job a little bit easier because there's less people doing more work at my customers' companies, you know, because there's less people doing more work. And I take, I take their, their time to acquire parts, you know, for their equipment from two hours a week down to 20 minutes a week. You know, that's a lot of time saved. But the key is, is to build it so that it makes it as easy as possible and you aren't making it harder for them to do business with you. So what I'm hearing is, is you need this, this person that's running or kind of setting up this initiative really needs to have the autonomy to almost rethink the customer experience versus try to sort of take the existing uh, complications of purchasing and put that online. They need to have really almost like a customer-first, customer-centric viewpoint of, of how they imagine the, the purchase experience from the customer's standpoint. Correct. So, so like 
say your company has some specific things. Obviously, you need to get paid. You need to get the products out the door. Right. You know, there are some specific things that are deal breakers. Right. And so you put those parameters around someone internally at your organization that's going to design this and say, we need to check all these boxes, go for it. Then you can build it around that instead of building it around, well, this is our... This is our process for setting up an account. And this is, you need to like go get credit terms and wait for two days for the accounting department to get back to you. And then you need to file a purchase order in this format or, you know, all of these things that just kind of are adding extra steps to doing business with you. Yeah. And so really kind of starting with the customer, what do they need to do? And then what do you need to do to enable them and, and work from there? Yeah. And and some of those steps are deal breakers for customers. You know, a credit check may be mandatory and that may take a day or two and that may have to be worked into the process. Right. But some of sometimes those barriers are artificial that, that are created or at least a company name. Correct. And and I think that even even the ones that you see as as deal breakers, I mean for instance, like going to the credit check. Yeah. That was always a big thing for me was my father's company has his accounting department that would go like look up the DNB account and all of these things right. to and and my mentality always was like dad you're not a bank like you don't have the like whenever you check credit personally they check it against your credit score i mean it's, there's a whole industry around it i found a third party you know called approve that also integrates with oro that will handle that credit check and also hold the terms for my customers so that my customers can check out online easily. So these are things that a lot, a lot of your processes that are deal breakers, I guess I would just challenge to rethink to say, maybe there is a better way to do this. Yeah, that's great. And, and hence the give some autonomy to, to reimagine that yeah. to somebody really smart within your organization. Yeah. I like that. You're competing, and this is interesting because I think you're a really interesting case study for a lot of, of companies because you're competing as really a digital player in a, in a predominantly offline competitive market. Sounds um, like a song or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that like? You're, so you're, you're this digital competitor in this offline world. And, and and a lot of our customers actually, a lot of the companies that we talk to are saying the same thing to us. Hey, we're going to be one of the first to market here. Yeah. What what's that like for you? Is it tough? Is it are you educating? Are you a kid in a candy store? What what's what's happening? Or all of the above? I mean, all of the above. It's a blue ocean, but I definitely don't get invited to like the hobnob industry events and stuff. I'm kind of like the pirate. Well, you're that, the you're the disruptor. Right. I mean, for, those forty five thousand customers had yeah. to come from somewhere. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the whole thing. It's like my dad and all of his like competitors are also buddies at the conferences, just because like it's a pretty small industry, and and I'm just this outsider that no one really knows what's going on. Um, so I've bet I found myself um, on the outside there, but it allows me to look at things through a different lens. It allows me to kind of rethink everything and not not be so closed off to what what the opportunities are and how to really take care of the customers and learn from companies like Amazon and other companies that aren't B two B B two B specifically, but the customers are buying off of these 
off of these other websites in their personal time, you know, so learning from that and kind of really making the experience as seamless as possible for them has allowed me to like not being so in the industry has really given me the opportunity to um, look elsewhere. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's clear that you're a disruptor in, in your market, which, which it's, it's interesting to have this industry. That's probably that forklift part industry is probably not growing at 50, 60% a year. Maybe it's growing five to 10% a year, yeah. but you are massively disrupting within that growth. I mean, to, to get 45,000 customers in six years, you're, you're taking them from, from other places. So. What and, the, and that's actually an interesting point. So something early on, whenever I, you know, contacted one of the main suppliers, uh, wholesale distributors in the industry that is now a vendor of mine, and they said it would never work as well. They said, okay, there's this small little percent down at the bottom that isn't covered by our traditional distribution network. And I obviously questioned it because I questioned everything at that time. And, and what I've found and what they've found is that I'm not only taking customers from their distributors, but I have their customers purchasing off of me, whether it's cross lines, you know, I, why someone would buy off of me whenever I'm buying it through my supplier instead of going directly to my supplier whenever they have an account, I can't answer that question other than I've paid attention to the customer experience better, I've done better marketing, whatever. But the fact is that the whole supply chain is getting disrupted because people don't buy in the same manner that, that the supply chain says they should be buying in. Well, I, I think what it proves is that kind of what you were saying earlier on, which is the idea that a B2B buyer is actually just a, a B2C buyer who goes to work. And, and these folks are used to buying on Amazon. They buy on websites all day long for their personal things, and they want to do the same thing. And they're going to go to the place where they have the best customer experience. Right. Um, and really, that's what's going to win. Because it's not their money. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're at work buying for your company, you're going to do whatever. I hate to say it, but you're going to do whatever is the easiest for you. Not necessi- If the price is not that big of a difference... You're going to do whatever is easiest for you and maybe not go just by price if the other experience is clunky. Well, you're definitely proving that, I yeah. think, in, in the customer acquisition yeah. department. Interesting. Sean, it's, it's interesting. Um, you speak at a lot of events. Um, I mean, I, I've seen you at a lot of the major events speaking. I think you do a great job at, at sort of talking to, to the market about what you've done. What are What are some of the things that you say, like you really sort of, tight bullet points. What are the things that you say when you speak that, that resonate with people? Oh man. Um, what? I mean, things that I haven't said already. I, I think, I think that I've gone through my pitch, but um, <laughs> it felt like a conversation. <laughs> I didn't feel like you were pitching. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that really you need to, the key here is to just go into everything from the customer first. And if you can Automate processes, like even if you have to start from scratch, like start from scratch and automate processes because uh, the the fact is that you can typically um, software and systems can can allow uh, less people to do a lot more in 2019. And so, so I really kind of say that talk to your customers, figure out what it is 
like listen to them, listen to a lot of them, and have someone internally that that can have a vision for this that's outside of how things are are traditionally done and and really just try things, break things, and learn from them you know yeah I mean it's I wish I had something more profound to say here, but it's at the end of the day it it, it just just think about it from the customer's perspective and you're going to win. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I, so I'm going to ask you something in, in this, you know, you and I have a, a, a good relationship and we've worked together for a while. Um, it's interesting to me that you are in this world of selling forklift parts, except you get a lot of interest from the venture capital community. You get a lot of interest from the private equity community. Do, is that because they see you doing this sort of disruptive thing and they view you as a disruptor? I mean, they see your customer growth. Why, why do you think that is? Does that... For one, my the space that I'm in is pretty much recession-proof, okay? Mm-hmm. When the economy's bad, people don't buy new equipment. They fix their existing equipment. Got it. So there has been steady growth in the industry, not 50%, 60% growth, but steady growth yeah. forever. A forklift hasn't changed in 100 years. So that's one piece of it. And then obviously the scalability of my business model. Yeah. You and, know, and the disruption that you're actually creating within that. Right. I'm, I'm rewriting what the supply chain, chain looks like. And, and then the other thing is that forklift parts are just the start. Just mm-hmm. because I'm, I've, I've started with this industry doesn't, doesn't mean, I mean, Amazon started with books. So like, so you're just getting started. Yeah. Love that. And, and so if anyone doesn't have the internal person who has the vision, you're welcome to sell parts through truepar.com as well. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that's great. Uh, you know, so that's, yeah, that's, no, that's I, the I, interest. Okay. So you're, you're really just getting started yeah. is what you're telling us. And I mean, these customers who, these 45,000 customers aren't just buying forklift parts as their job. Yeah. They're purchasing agents. They are mechanics. These are, these are people who have purchasing power of large companies behind them who are purchasing all kinds of things for their business. They may buy parts off of me now, but who knows what they'll buy off of me in the future. I love that. That's great. Uh, I mean, it's clear in talking to you that you're a visionary and that you're doing something that I think very few people are doing. Now, in sort of full disclosure, transparency, uh, you're a, an oral commerce customer. I'm one of the founders of oral commerce. Um, but I, do, I don't want to talk about this in, that, in this question specifically but my question is, what are some of the technologies that you feel are really critical in, in running your business? Or how do you think about technology adoption generally? And that that, that is not setting you up to, to talk about us. I just, I want to hear that kind of broadly, how you think about that. So Oro Commerce is the greatest. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank no, you, Sean. <laughs> no, I, you know, obviously... Um, like without being too pitchy here, I, I searched for a long time for, um, I have 8 million SKUs and there isn't many platforms on the planet that can actually handle that many SKUs unless you're building it in-house custom and have a lot of money to do it. So I searched for a long time for the right e-commerce partner because that really is my infrastructure. So once I found Oro, you know, the 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 key was was to to be able to have a system that that was had the right roadmap and and had the right integrations um, like my business could scale with and so like that was the Oro choice and then from there 
you know, some of the other keys for me was the uh, CRM capabilities and then like live chat is a, is a big deal for me. Um, it allows, once again, uh, less people to do more. You know, one of my yeah. reps can be chatting with multiple people, but someone taking a phone call can only take one at a time. So that, you know, live chat was a big one. Um, obviously, analytics tools in order to be able to track everything that's happening and be able to test things and, and uh, refine those tests. A cloud-based phone system so that I can have reps not only uh, in-house, but also remote, all, remote in the United States. Yeah, but, yeah. And and you can easily transfer calls between and... and Tracking, and, measuring... Right. Results and what's happening in sort of your virtual call center. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are a couple pieces. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, just technology <laughs> philosophy or technologies that you've adopted that matter to you. I, I think that you hit it. You hit the high notes. I, I think- mean, SaaS apps, you know, I think that that's a big one is, is technologies that integrate with other technologies because yeah. the goal here is to be able to have a 360 view of a customer and not have siloed systems yeah. running. You, re- you really want to be able to see a customer from all angles you want to see all of the touch points, all of the contacts with that customer and be able to fully provide them the best service possible. And the only way to do that is by having systems that integrate tightly with other systems. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Sean, I want to thank you for joining us here today. Was there anything else that um, that we should have, like that we absolutely should have talked about that we didn't or you wanted to mention before we finish up here? No, I mean, keep doing what you're doing. Great. You no, know, it's... I'm happy. Great. Well, well, thank you. Thanks, Sean, for joining us today um, on the podcast. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Troy. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. To get the latest updates on Oro Commerce and access to the latest episodes, follow us on Twitter, at Oro Commerce. Also, be sure to check us out at oroinc.com slash e-commerce dash podcast for more episodes.